But if you ask them, how much money do you spend a year keeping customers? What are your top five customers that are most likely to leave in the next quarter? Who are you worried about keeping? They can't answer those questions. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Sally Gronow, and it is, good customer service costs less than bad customer service. My guest today, Joey Coleman, is better at keeping customers happy than almost anyone I know. He's an award-winning speaker. Yes, they do have speaking contests at both national and international conferences, competing against New York Times, best-selling authors, business leaders, and internet sensations and celebrity. He's also the author of the number two Wall Street Journal bestseller, Never Lose a Customer Again. Joey, uh, welcome back to the Elevate Podcast. Hey, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely excited to be back and get a chance to connect with you. And thanks to everybody who's kind enough to be listening in. Uh, Hopefully, we can have a a good conversation with some fun takeaways for the audience too. Yeah. And and what's gone on has been particularly relevant to your industry. So I was going to say, it's been been several years since you've been on the podcast. Uh, And so I'll start with a question I've been asking a lot of returning guests. Like, What did you have to change personally, professionally to keep yourself going during the pandemic? You know, really just everything in my life. <laughs> that was it. Like, I, I really right. just had to adjust. I mean, you were someone who was everything. on the road speaking every week, right? I was. So there, I'd say I'd put the changes into two categories, professionally yeah. and personally. On the professional side, I was on the road two and a half to three weeks out of every month. For context, February 2020, before this thing all started to hit in March, I did 19 keynotes that month. <laughs> I mean, Since, I, there's only 19 days in February. Yeah, exactly. Now, exactly. That. Almost yeah. every day there was a keynote. So wait, did you get COVID? You must have gotten, were you an no, early adopter then? I That's still, amazing. I still am COVID-free. I maybe you had it. Maybe you co- were an early adopter and they were asymptomatic. You know, to be candid, I got sick in December of uh, yeah. 2019 and was just really felt miserable. And I've been tested for the antigen or the antibodies to see and like, oh, too long. I, and supposedly right. yeah. I didn't have it. But yeah, maybe it was too long. But moral of the story is feel very fortunate. Our, our friend Todd Herman was also a very early adopter. Yes, he he was the first person that I personally knew who uh, who ended up with COVID. But yeah, long story short, everything went virtual. So I created an entirely uh, virtual setup for my office and my presentations. A lot of events got switched. A lot of events got canceled. A lot of events got turned into virtual gatherings. Um, so I learned how to deliver speeches when you can't see or hear the audience, which is a huge change from being on stage where you can not only see the audience reaction, you can hear their laughs, but you can actually energetically feel what's going on. That's right. a lot different when you're talking to a Zoom screen or a Skype screen or a you know Microsoft Teams screen. I make sure I mention all the platforms <laughs> that somebody could potentially be on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm agnostic. It's like have camera, have microphone, will travel. And uh, that was obviously a big shift. The other big shift was with my family. I mean, they went from being on the road with me or being at home while I was on the road to we've now read the first four Harry Potter books to our boys. I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old uh, cover to cover on those books and then watch the movies. We're just starting book number five tonight. You know, I've been home for dinner every night uh, yeah. over the last two years or, you know, that long, give or take. And so long story short, it was a pretty substantial change. That being said, 
feel incredibly blessed to have not been personally impacted by COVID. While I know, you know, tons of people who've had significant impact from it, no one in my immediate family was hospitalized or died. And so as a result, I feel very fortunate to have avoided that. The last thing I'll say on the personal side is I actually moved uh, because everything changed so much. I moved from where I was living in Colorado to Iowa, where I grew up, because yeah. a lot of folks, I guess, are not super planning to move to Iowa these days. Um, but as a result, I moved to where my parents live and two of my brothers and their wives and kids. And so we kind of created this pod of little house on the prairie homeschooling uh, with the kids That's and awesome. everybody being able to have some quality time. So it's been a real blessing to be able to turn inward and get some unbelievable family time when the world has been wrangling this insane pandemic. Yeah. And, and we dug a little bit into your background, you know, when you were on a show previously, I'd encourage people to to dig into that, but just as recap for everyone, talk about what, what it is, what you're doing, what all these companies are asking you to help them with. Yeah. So the majority of the companies that I work with, whether that's speaking at their events or coming in and consulting with them, have recognized that they do a good job of taking care of their customers, but not nearly good enough. Yeah. The typical business is losing a lot more customers than they should be. And ironically enough, they're losing them very early in, on in the process. Filling a leaky bucket with a lot of water. Yeah. And the theory always is, well, we'll just go get more, you know, let's, uh, let's get a new funnel going on. Let's uh, run a new ad campaign and that's fine. And I'm not anti-marketing and I'm not anti-sales. It's just 20% margin towards sales <laughs> yeah, and marketing. Yeah, exactly. And what I don't understand is why if you take any business leader, uh, or any owner and you ask them, you know, what, how much money do you spend on marketing? How much money do you spend on sales? What are your conversion rates? You know, what's your pipeline look like? Most can answer those questions. But if you ask them, how much money do you spend a year keeping customers? What are your top five customers that are most likely to leave in the next quarter? Yeah. Who are you worried about keeping? They can't answer those questions. Now, theoretically, someone in their organization who's usually way, way down in the organizational hierarchy can give you some data and some insight as to those questions. But most leaders are focused on let's grow, let's build, let's scale, as opposed to let's retain, let's nurture, let's keep. There must be a core existential question in our, we've had it in ours. Where does this live? <laughs> Is this sales? Is this client service and delivery? Like what? Either, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. All, all. And this of, probably so, is the problem: is that it D, doesn't all have of the a, yeah. above, <laughs> yeah. right? Exactly. Well, here's the thing: in most businesses, there's a head of sales, there's a head of marketing, there's a head of operations. Yeah. But customer experience has a tendency to cut across all of those, and it should cut across all of those. The problem is in the typical organization, the person who's responsible for customer experience or customer service, and I, I draw a distinction between those two things, reports up to either the head of marketing, the head of sales, or the head of operations. Yeah. Now, imagine being in a meeting with the CEO or the board, and you've got the head of sales. By the way, that's their title. The head of marketing, yeah, that's their title too. And the head of operations. Do you think any of them are going to talk about customer service or customer experience when their titles are marketing, sales, and operations? No. They're not. They're not incentivized to talk about that. They're not trained to talk about that. They're not rewarded for talking about that. So as a result, in the typical organization, there's this gaping hole of responsibility for taking care of the customers. And then we're shocked when customers leave. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Let's, let's call a SWAT meeting and get everybody together and try to analyze. They left because they didn't feel like they mattered. 
They left because you didn't care. They left because you didn't deliver on the basic things that are the anti-up chips to sit down at the table. They left because you rested on the laurels of, well, they've been with us for months or weeks or years or whatever it may be. Surely they'll let us know if they're getting, you know, grass is greener attitude. Right. And you will go pay 20 to 30% of the cost of a new client to go get a new one and not invest peanuts in time or money on, on the current one. Right. Exactly. And, and also we'll, we'll take a flyer, you know, most ad campaigns, it's like, well, it might work. It might not, you know, that famous adage that, you know, 50% of my advertising dollars. Yeah. You know, you know, I just don't know which 50%. And yet when I say to companies, Hey, let's put together a budget to show some love to your clients, you know, our mutual friend, John Ruin, you know, how can we yeah. shed some giftology on them? How can we, you know, show some strategic appreciation? They're like, mm, how much do we budget? Ah, I don't know. What do you want to spend on that? I'm like, how about we just spend a fraction of a percent of what they spend with you every year? You pick yeah. the fraction, half, half of a percent, a quarter of a percent, something, 1%, that would be incredible. And yet the typical business, they're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to spend money on this. And how will we really know if it works? Uh, they'll stay. That's how you know it works. They'll say thank you. They'll feel appreciated. They'll feel loved. And I know one of the most important things in, in your playbook, and it, it just obviously, again, Dan Pink's written about beginnings, you know, ending. What starts well tends to end well, but also just tends to go better you know, in the short term and, and, and the way that companies onboard clients, you know, it, it, I know you've had a big focus on making that repeatable. I, I mean, we, we took your work in, in, in terms of a 90 day process. It just seems like more companies leave that to chance than they have a sales process, right? Think about it. So you have, right. <laughs> you have this like marketing data, it goes into the sales system, it gets developed, that person calls on them. They like literally like people have dashboards and tracking and then they're a customer and that all goes away. Cue so, the tumbleweed. It's like, yeah. what's going to happen next? So I don't know. Sally's going to take care of it. Or I don't know. We right. hand it off to Frank and they're responsible for this. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's crazy is, and I know you know this incredibly well. In fact, you all are a featured case study, you know, your business in the book because you get it. But those first 100 days of the customer relationship are the most important time in the entire life cycle. What the research shows, and this is Joey's research, which has also been backed up by Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School, uh, Frederick Reichel. Yeah. yeah, places, yeah. <laughs> you know, this isn't just, hey, I'm just a guy who thought yeah. this up. No, this has been proven time and time again across all industries globally. Somewhere between 20 and 70% of your customers are going to decide to stop doing business with you before the 100-day anniversary. That should terrify most business leaders. So they're quitting and staying, what you're saying. So some of them, hey, well, so, right. like we're under a six-month contract, but like these guys are dead to us pretty much. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so here's the thing. In some businesses, they actually leave. Yeah. They, they pull out and they're gone. But in businesses that are like, well, Joe, you don't understand. We sign year-long contracts or six-month contracts. This <laughs> doesn't like, apply do to understand. us. I'm like, no, I do <laughs> understand. It shows me that you're even lazier because in most of those like year-long contracts, when do you start thinking about renewal? Well, Joey, we don't want to bring it up in month 11 because that feels desperate. So we start talking about it in month 10. I'm like, yeah, in month 10, it's already over. They made the decision about whether they're going to renew or not back in month three or four. They were just riding to wait and see that it's over. Yeah. It's like the employees. I said it before, but I always say the most, de the, the, the most damaging employees are not the ones that quit and 
leave. It's the ones that quit stay. These are the totally. these are the customers who are already quit, but they're still with you. And and so you have the false assumption that they're going to be with you. Exactly. And they're causing challenges for your team. They're drawing down resources. You know, they're maybe getting weird about their payments. There's all kinds of things that are happening. And the amount of time and effort and energy you're expending to take care of folks who've already mentally and emotionally checked out is a nightmare, whether that's customers or employees. Yeah. You know, I it was Stephen Covey or one of the Coveys or someone who said that I assume trust in this period is critical. And I think he said trust, and, and I've always thought this is a great definition from client service. It's competency plus character, right? So uh, the, you might really like someone, but if they screw everything up, like that trust is gone. And and likewise, like if you just don't, they don't display integrity or otherwise a hard thing to get back. So it seems to me that you need to have both of those things early. Like you we had a vendor years ago and and I had a relationship with a vendor and and the first bill they sent us was $12,000 over what it should have been. Right. And, <laughs> and I, we had a very processed detail oriented person on our team. And, and every month she went through every one of the bills from then on. And, you know, four months later, he's complaining to me, you know, we got to kind of cough the dogs. Like every, this feels we're going to all the bills are nickeling and diming. I'm like, look, it's very hard for me after that initial thing to tell her like that, that she's not going to be coming through those bills. Like I, I you kind of blew it. Like, I don't know right. what else to if tell you. you. Would have been, <laughs> if you would have missed by $5, yeah. we could have said, hats a rounding error and it's mistake. $12,000. Come on. Like yeah. you created this scenario. And I totally agree with you. I mean, here's the thing. I think most businesses believe that the competency is enough. They think, well, we, we've, you know, we're delivering on what we said we would. Right. Really? Because if we're just delivering on what we said we would, most of us wouldn't be in relationships. Most of us expect a lot more of, out of the relationships we're in. It's not just like, oh, yes, you know, great. I went to the restaurant. They put food on the plate and they set it in front of me. Okay, well, great. I expected food. Is it good food? Is it warm? Is it cold? Is it the temperature it's supposed to be? Yeah. Is there a smile? Is the presentation on the plate a consideration? What does it taste like? What are the flavors? Do the flavors, you know, compare to each other? Do they contrast each other? You know, are they supportive of each other and complementary of each other? You know, where are we? And I think most businesses have gotten into this belief that we need to have less character when the reality is I would posit we need more. We need to create scenarios where our employees are off script. We need to hire the kind of people that are comfortable real to have real conversations. Right. Exactly. Because that's what we want. We, we train on this. Again, it's not meant to be a gimmick. And I, because I particularly I say during, during, co look, during COVID, we had a lot of stressed clients, like, you know, really stressed. If I get on the phone, I'm like, Joey, here, here are last week's results. We're up, whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm like, I'm like you just seem to be in a really bad mood. Right. If I, if I had, Said, hey Joey, like, how's it going? How you know you're like, you know, not good. Uh, actually, my I'm really like my mom got COVID. My dad's taking care of her. I'm really stressed. I'm worried. Now I understand, like, as a human, what framework you're in. Before I start reciting all these numbers and stuff to you that you just don't seem to be excited about the good numbers, and I'm trying to read into that. So as much as possible, you know, in general, we encourage this, but really during that time was like. Just this is professional. Like check in with the people. Like as yeah, a person, be a human. Yeah, it's yes, not. Yes. It's not manipulative. Just no. Be no. really, generally. How are you doing? Yeah, and here's the great thing. Two pieces to this. Number one, most people haven't been asked genuinely 
how are you doing? Where the person who was asking the question was curious about the answer as opposed to just, hey, how's it been going? Oh, fine. How about you? Fine. You know, that type of answer. No, they genuinely feel that there's some empathy and some connection and a desire to hear and to understand there. But number two, when we do that, there's a glorious reciprocal effect as well. Because invariably, that person turns around and says, but what about you? How are you doing? And then we realize in that moment, oh my gosh, I haven't had the chance to answer that question honestly in a long time. And those are the kind of connections. People ask me all the time, Joey, what can I do to make sure my customers never quit me? To make sure that it's sticky. Like, how can I tie them in and bind them in? And I'm like, you're bringing the wrong energy yeah. to this, okay? <laughs> what you can do. They're like, for your have... contracts? Should I <laughs> yeah, you know, auto exactly. renewal? Yeah. yeah, yo, huge penalty clauses yeah. if they cancel? Yeah, no. <laughs> what you can do is set it up that your customers know that you care about them as individuals and as humans. And you know that they care about you as an individual and a human. Because it's a lot harder to quit doing business with a friend or someone who is there for you in a hard time or for someone who showed a brief moment of empathy or care or concern when you were down than to quit a vendor or to quit a supplier. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcast. HBR.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, the big idea, HBR magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. And I think, right, COVID just really showed this. So if you had asked, probably in the thick of this, which I would have said was end of 2020, beginning of 2021, if you had asked our employees, they're, they're, you know, they were stressed out, their clients were stressed out. I think if you said, them, How, what's the temperature of our clients? They would have said, because we were really practicing this, like 
take a step back. This person's in the same boat you are. Their kids are at home too. Your kids are at home. It's a total bleep show. Like, <laughs> let's start with that as, exactly. as, as mutual understanding. But if you'd asked our team, they'd be like, clients are stressed and unreasonable. And, and, and we, you know, we do this quarterly NPS. And so we're like, it's going to be terrible. Right. I mean, it's like the, the right now came back the highest ever. Yeah. Which is not surprising to me, knowing you and your team, because you come to life with a human forward attitude and your team does too. Right. right? And so it's like that once we recognize, and I think COVID was a real eye-opening experience for many people because it was an accelerant and a magnifier of what was already there. A lot of people are like, oh, I learned all these new things with COVID. I'm like, mm, you actually just got a clearer lens on what was already there. Nothing, nothing really. So it, many things, right. Yeah, trends it, five years advanced. Like, totally, it, yeah. totally. It was about accelerating and magnifying problems and successes and opportunities that were already there. And the reality is those people who brought a level of care, concern, and empathy to their conversations with their customers during the pandemic are going to have plenty of customers after the pandemic. Those who decided that it was business as usual or those who doubled down on policies. I mean, I've said this a thousand times during right. the pandemic in conversations. Policies are not meant for pandemics. Right. Yeah. When you go to, when you just go to the contract, right? Yeah. 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 And anytime somebody goes, well, let's look at the contract. I know that's going to suck. That conversation is going to be terrible. Right. And I'm a recovering attorney. Okay. Yeah. I'm the guy who wrote the contract nine times out of 10. And I'm like, if we're going to the contract, right. it means that we're not interacting as humans anymore. That That is the one I've done a lot of home renovation projects and people are very focused on the contract. I'm like, if you're at the contract, you're already screwed. Like the only totally. things I can tell you is to keep the payments in line with the product that is delivered on your property or installed. And that 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 is yes. again, you get to the contract and everyone's probably lost at that point. Exactly. Exactly. But what was really interesting in that context and why it was a surprise is that clearly the people were appreciative, although it didn't sound or feel like it because there was an underlying level of of stress and fear. And so that's why I think it came out as a surprise to us because we would have thought it just felt so difficult and tough. Um, but I, I, I generally was surprised by the data. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to show up that way. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting about that, Bob, is that I believe now, you know, we're, we're coming up on two years into this yeah, thing, give or yeah. take. Hopefully Hard to end. believe, yeah. right? <laughs> Hopefully the end. Here's hoping. But if you're actually a student of history, you know that most global pandemics, it's a three-year three year run. Yeah. To, right? So we're, we're at the best. We're at the end now. We probably have some more time to go. But here's the fascinating thing when we look about all the behaviors. I think there are a significant number of people who are breaking now, who didn't break earlier who, you know, soldiered through. And I see this a lot in the entrepreneurial community. Like I had to be strong for my team. I had to like soldier through, yeah. put on a good face. And the conversations I've had in the last three or four months with those folks, they're just collapsing. Cause it's like, guess what? I, I can't sprint for two years. I couldn't agree more. I wrote uh, Friday Ford about this a couple of months ago on where I'm, I, it's to me, it's all leadership burnout. It's the sandwich generation. Totally. They're like, look, a lot of people have the luxury of just worrying about themselves. You know, I know that particularly the people in the sandwich, they've got, they've got aging parents, they've got kids. So if you're, if you're in late thirties, early fifties, you know, in management, you likely have the aging parents, you have kids, and then you are probably managing a team. And so it just wasn't about you. And at some point, <laughs> and, and to your point before, and I wrote this, like 
at some point your boss is a human being and they're doing the best they can. And you need to ask them, how are you doing? Like, exactly. And, but I, I see tremendous burnout at the leadership level now. Exactly. And I don't think we're going to snap our fingers and quote unquote, go back to normal or have everybody suddenly be rejuvenated. You just need three, a three day weekend in the islands and you'll feel so much better when you come back. It's like, no, I, I mean, I literally just came back from a two week trip and I found myself caught. This is the first like extended time away I've had since this entire yeah. thing started. And it was probably day 10 of 14 where I finally started to feel my shoulders drop a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this feels familiar. This feels comfortable. This feels less stress, less craziness, less run around, less waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it was like, oh, okay. And then I had a whopping four days of that before being back into the, the mix. And I think we're going to need to, in the same way, hopefully we've given some grace and some understanding to people over the last two years, we're going to need to give additional grace and understanding, especially to leaders and to your point, to people that are kind of in that sandwich generation yeah. in the next year, because it's not going to just all get back to bed. You know, as soon as everybody quits wearing masks and we're back to, you know, go to anywhere you want, it's going to be better. No, there's going to be a re-emerging process that if we look at history, usually takes at least half as long as the process took coming into it. So we're looking at at least a year, year and a half of re-emerging before I think we'll be back to a point where you can almost take people at face value and realize like, all right, this is where they're at and this is where I'm at. Yeah. And I, I've been vocal about this, but you know, I think one of the big, there's some great parts of the great resignation or realignment or whatever we call it. I, there's definitely a part where I think everyone wants to thinks that just doing something new will erase the hardness of the last couple of years. And Adam Grant published some data on this recently on the satisfaction levels, how long it takes to get back to where you were in a new job. Because when you start new, you actually have to overwork. You have to learn people. You have to meet people. You have to figure it out. I'm not saying that's not the right solution in some cases, but I think to your point, I, I think a lot of people just need a month off or two months off. They don't need a new job. I yeah. just yeah. like, I they don't just need actually, a break. <laughs> yeah. They need a break from the kids. They need a break from their parents. They need a break from their job. They need a break from the news. And that's a discussion that more people should have. Yeah, exactly. And, and creating, I think creating the opportunity in the space for that and recognizing that it's not, we didn't get into this situation in a week or two weeks. We're not going to get out of it in a week or two weeks, right? For many people, they realized aspects of their life that they were not happy with that maybe they'd grown numb to, or maybe they had just been kind of pushed into the back burner because there were other things that were you know, more acute or needed more attention at that time. I think there's a huge opportunity ahead, but I also think it's going to be it's going to be a little choppy. I don't think it's going to be all smooth sailing. I think there's going to be some challenges. Yeah. Uh, smooth, <laughs> hasn't been any smooth sailing. So <laughs> we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Joey. Today's episode is brought to you by Text Expander. What can you do with more hours every month? Repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers. All these things are taking precious time away from you and your team. With Text Expander, you can take time back and focus on what matters most in your business. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your messages consistent, save time and be more productive, and be accurate every time. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more in less time and with less effort using Text Expander. Here's how it works. 
Drop your commonly used content, a thank you note, or a request for a meeting into a text expander snippet and give it an abbreviation. Share your snippet with your entire team. Just type a few characters to trigger your snippet and the content expands anywhere you type. It's that easy. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, and listeners of this show get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. That's text, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-R.com slash podcast. And we're back with Joey Coleman. So, I mean, Joey, we were kind of dancing around this, but the pandemic has been a super unique time in customer management. You know, a lot of times you're talking about these proactive programs of let's take our long-term customers, make sure they're happy. Let's make sure people are happy in their first hundred days. A lot of customer relationships overnight just fell apart, paused, strained. People have focusing on saving themselves versus you know someone else. Like what? What were people calling you panicked about? Like what did you see? What were some good case studies of things that companies did to retain customers? Like particularly during the the worst of, uh, you know, try to block them out, but let's say the April, May, June, 2020 timeframe. Yeah. I mean, obviously at that time, there was a lot of all hands on deck, you know, things are going wrong. Let's, let's throw money at this problem. Let's throw more manpower, more people at this problem. Let's address it. And I think what a lot of companies realized is, and I don't say this to be critical because I get that it's hard to run a business. I've run a business for 20 years now. I get that it's challenging. But a lot of businesses, I think, realized that they had been taking their customers for granted. And now when they needed their customers in order to stay afloat, and they needed their customers to understand supply chain issues, and they needed their customers to understand closures of physical locations, they were kind of calling on a karmic bank account that they hadn't made deposits in in a long time. And so what a lot of the work that we did was to say, all right, what can we do to start meeting people where they're at? How can we show some empathy? How can we lean into this a little bit? You know, there are actually three companies that come to mind that I think have done an incredible job throughout this entire process of navigating the change of COVID and both in terms of how they offered their products and services to their customers, how they interacted with their customers and how they even grew into new markets that I don't think they ever would have considered because of what had happened. So I'll, I'll give a quick three stories if I could about those. Sure. So the first one is a company... I was, I was hoping for one, three. Yeah, yeah like, I'll give you three. You're overachiever. Yeah. Well, that's my goal. My goal is to give three so that if somebody listens and goes, yeah, that one doesn't apply to me, there's at least two more chances I get yeah. you know, to, to hit you with one that somebody can have some takeaways. So the first one is a gym called Innovative Fitness up in Canada, uh, run by our mutual friend, Curtis Christopherson. Oh, I I like this story. I know this story. Yeah. It's a great story, right? So they've got gyms and they're high-end gyms. I didn't even know, funny, I didn't even know that was their old business. I only know that. You only know the new business, right? I'm a customer. Which is is really, as am I. So we'll we'll get to what the new business is. So their old business were high-end gyms in downtown locations in major cities in Canada. They had about 11 locations and it was basically for CEOs, top senior executives. They would come in, it was small, it was personalized, and they'd work out with a personal trainer all day, you know, anytime they wanted to and be able to come in. COVID comes along. Guess what? Canada says, no more gyms. We're shutting them all down. So now they've got all this real estate they need to keep paying for. They've got all these trainers that are on staff that they want to keep paying their employees. And they literally are barred from meeting with their customers in their space, but their customers still want to keep working out. So they transition to Zoom 
and Skype. And they start doing you know, FaceTime calls and trying to train people. And while they're doing this, the CEO says, this is actually going to be the future. Invest over a million dollars building out a custom workout training program. And was this something I think they, they were kind of thinking about? They thought, they thought about yeah, it, but yeah. they hadn't gone all in, right? right. They had said like, oh, that might be needs to develop someday. Now they were forced to develop. So they built it out. And they switched all of their clients that used to train in person could now train from home. They worked with them to help them get gym equipment set up in their homes. A lot of it switched to just even doing like body weight exercise and stretching and all these things that we know keep us healthy, keep us having a better attitude, better endorphins, et cetera. And so they continue to serve their people. While they're doing this, they start hearing about all these other gyms, of course, that have shut down as well. And they say, here's the deal. We're launching this new program called Workout. And the way Workout's going to work is you work from home on this platform. And if you are a member of a gym anywhere in the world that has been shut down because of COVID, you can sign up for $1,000 in free training credits with our team. Holy cow. Now people all over North America, Europe, Australia, all these places are like, we want to sign up and they come and they sign up. And as you might imagine, after they use their thousand dollars of training credits, what do they want to do? Sign up and become full-time customers. I had not worked out and I'm embarrassed now to say this, but not as embarrassed because of what I've done in the last year. I literally had not worked out more than once in 20 years. Wow. I now work out five days out of the week and I have four. We're coming up using on my that one year anniversary using their platform. Yeah, you know what I you know what I found is a great use for as I started traveling, I still wasn't psyched about like getting on a treadmill in the hotel gym and huffing exactly. and puffing next to the person next to me. So I started booking the the workout sessions for in my hotel room when I was yep. traveling and I, I love it. And it's amazing. So yeah. I work out in my living room when I'm home. I work out in the hotel room. My trainer is fantastic. And he's like, oh, what, what hotel chain are we at today? You know, And they're able to kind of work with what's in the equipment. They embraced technology and they listened to what their customers wanted and pivoted into that type of offering. Story number two. Okay. Another Canadian company, as it turns out, called Brasa. So Brasa was started by this amazing restaurateur, Michelle Falcone. Michelle was incredibly well-known in the restaurant community in Toronto. He decides late 2019 that he's going to start a quick service restaurant doing Peruvian cuisine, which is his heritage. Raises $350,000, goes down to Peru, meets with all the farmers, figures out what his supply chain is going to be, super psyched, all ready to go, and gets stuck in Peru, cannot get back into Canada. So he's stuck in Peru. He's trying to figure out what he's doing, right? And he's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I can't open my restaurant. He's barred from opening the restaurant. He's barred from the construction build out even happening. And yet he's got all this money from investors. He's got these relationships he's developed with suppliers. He's trying to roll this out. So he decides to pivot and repackage. Instead of having a restaurant that people came to, he figured, what if I sent the restaurant to them? He creates this cooking box with Peruvian recipes and chili paste, which is the kind of the key ingredient if you're going to cook Peruvian, right? Yeah. He announces this on Facebook that he's got these boxes for sale for $70. And literally in 24 hours, processes a thousand orders. A thousand people buy this box. Now, does that recoup his full investment? No way. But what it does is it creates connection with future customers for the restaurant when he opens. He then spins up because it's around the holidays. He says, hey, guess what? I'm going to start doing cooking classes. And if you bought the box, you can sign up for a cooking class. And I'm going to teach you how to cook with this box that you just bought. 
So he's getting customers to actually use the product. And guess what happens when they use the product and they like what it tastes like? They've got to order more product. So many businesses sell the products to the customer and then presume usage. And for anybody listening that's like, oh, Joey, who are those kind of people? How many articles of clothing do you have in your closet that still have tags on them or that you haven't worn? Or how many times have you purchased a book and not read it? Consumers buy things that they don't use all the time. If we take it upon ourselves as the person selling the product to increase the likelihood of their usage by the conversations we have with them, the connection, the holding their hands, the showing them the ropes, especially when it's a consumable product, the likelihood of them coming back for more is incredible. So he pivoted and repackaged. Fantastic. And just one one note on that is interesting. I saw a lot of restaurants. I, to me, restaurants were the classic example of sort of stoic, what you can control or not you control. Like, I, and, and when you think about it, the ones that actually survived and did the best took a customer-centric or a stakeholder-centric thing, right? They sacrificed their beliefs, long-haul beliefs, and were like, this is what our customers need, our employees need. You know, If they didn't do takeout before, they didn't get religious about that. They signed up for four takeout things or they said, look, I want to keep my kitchen people. They did grocery boxes. They did whatever the, the, whatever the customer needed or what kept their people employed. Well, there were a lot of others and, and there were some famous ones and, and, and uh, blanking on his name in New York and he had the ability to do this. The famous restaurateur said, look, we're just not, we're not going to go back until you know, what's compromised until we can do what we're going to do. And he just had the ability to do that. But I saw a lot of other ones took that approach, which was more about stubborn. Like we're just not, you know, we're not going to, but, but they really couldn't afford to yeah. not do that for two years. And and the ones that just innovated and and, and I, I would always think that good customer service is, is what your customers need and are asking for. And that sounds exactly like what Michelle did. You know, exactly, exactly. This, this fold your arms, get stubborn and say, I'm going to wait it out. Just isn't going to work. Or it's just, that's not what we do. We are not a yeah, delivery yeah, place. Yeah, we I, are I not, don't want to, yeah. you know, and, and what, what's fascinating is when we, when we peel back the layers on that, right. There's a lot of ego in there as a result. It's like, well, we don't do takeout. We're right. fine dining. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. Well, the whole world is taking out, but so. <laughs> everybody's doing takeout now, yeah. including the person that owns the restaurant. Cause you can't eat in any restaurant in any jurisdiction. So what are you supposed yeah. to do? And so I think this, one of the great things that's potentially come out of COVID for the businesses that are going to succeed is a relaxation of this rigid attachment to the way things were. Yeah. or to the way they delivered it. I mean, what if the folks at Workout would have said, oh no, we can't do this unless we're in the room with the trainer and they're able to put their hand on your back to straighten your back when you're doing you know, this right. move. It can't be that. How many people said, I mean, I, you know, we, we've been re- fully remote for 14 years. I can't tell you how many meetings I was in, forum, otherwise I'm like, that's really interesting, but that would never work for our business, right? Never. Totally. totally. Like, and it's like, oh, be careful. Be careful. I'm like, well, it- I'm like, I'm fine with it. Like, but, but, <laughs> Again, I, th- I think these are some unfounded, you know, uh, uh, statements and principles. And you know, one of my favorite quotes I'm probably going to butch it is from the general. He said, "If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less." Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, third and final case study. All right, this is a company that does web development called Yokoko. And what Yokoko did is on Blue Monday, which if you've never heard of Blue Monday, is no. the third Monday in January. Psychologists and therapists will say that this is the most depressing day of the year. 
There are more suicides. There are more calls to crisis hotlines on this day than any other time out of the year. Why? Because it's after the holidays. It's in the winter. People are feeling down. They're feeling blue. They're feeling miserable. It's, it's a Monday. It's Blue Monday. So what did they do? They sent an email to all their customers. They said, hey, it's Blue Monday. And with a video from the CEO, Chris Yoko, yeah. saying it's Blue Monday. And you may not have heard of Blue Monday, but I guarantee you've felt Blue Monday. And I bet you're feeling Blue Monday more this Monday than in any other Monday before. This is in 2021 when they first sent this because they're like, hey, we're in the thick of it. We're in the pandemic. Things are crazy. Here's what we're going to do. We'd like to give you a gift. You get to choose. We'll either send you a plant for your house. We'll send you a cup of coffee or a cup of tea that we've identified these really cool blends and we'll get it to you. And there are our favorite ones. We'll send you a book, either a book from your wish list, or we've gone to all of our employees and we've identified their favorite nonfiction book and their favorite fiction book. You can pick which book you want. We'll send you all that stuff. Or if you're the kind of person that just doesn't like receiving gifts, or if you feel that you're already blessed enough and you're not really feeling the effects of Blue Monday, but you might know that someone that is, you can share their name and pick any of these gifts and we'll send those gifts to them. Now, here's the thing. Total cost per client, way, way less than $20. Wow. Way, way less than $20. Yeah. Impact, amazing. How many articles were written about. That. Oh my gosh. And, and how many times have I talking about, talked about <laughs> it in speeches and we'll, yeah. I'm going to write about it in my next book and all these things where they led with empathy instead of solutions. Here's the problem. Most businesses, when they actually get in front of their customer, the first thing they want to talk about is the solution. So what are you, what's keeping you up awake at night these days? What's your biggest problem? How can we you know, be of service to you? What can we do? Let me tell you about this new product we're rolling out, blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying, how are you doing? What's going on? Yeah. How have you navigated this? How's your family? I know you've got little ones. I hear them in the background. Did you sign up to be a first grade teacher? Because I sure as heck didn't. And yet that's what I ended up doing. Or have you, yeah. have you had to move? Yeah, empathy. And they're leading with these. I actually believe that empathy is going to be the great distinguisher of businesses and personal lives for the next decade. Well, it's funny that you say that because... I just think social media is destroying empathy. And maybe that's why it is creating a differentiator. I'm going to get in trouble for talking about this if if my <laughs> family listens to this. But my, you know, my daughter just got into college. And so one of the things you see, there are these, they're called bed parties, which sounds terrible. But but when a kid gets into college, their friends or their parents buy them thousands of or hundreds of dollars of merchandise from the school. And they lay it across the bed and they stand in the costume and they put up the banner. It's just a ostentatious display of, of sort of me. And I, I, we've been talking about this. I, some of our friends are mortified by it. Some of them are probably planning them. I, I don't know, but you know, it occurred to me, I was like, so w right now in the middle of the cycle is not over. So to show people your wealth and ability to have $3,000 of clothes from the bookstore at the time when People are not getting in, uh, doing all that. Like it's one thing to be happy for yourself and put on a sweatshirt, but it of just course. it just is such a lack of of empathy. And, and that's what I said. Uh, I told my wife this morning. It just seems so detached from empathy or just any understanding of what's going on in the world that that's a seems like a appropriate thing to encourage your child to do. You know, I I have empathy for the parents <laughs> who are trying to create some semblance of normalcy and excitement for their high school kids. Like I get it. This has been a 
bleep show, as you said earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's just been a mess. It's just been a mess for everyone on the planet. However, when did we decide that our most personal, intimate moments of celebration needed to be broadcast to the world? And it's, I think we're not able to enjoy them without the podcast. Like you don't look at a exactly. sunset and you're like, oh, sunset. You're like, oh, that's a great picture to share yeah, with my post <laughs> filter to do. And then what happens if you're the kind of person that just posts it and walks away? I would like to meet you. Please reach right. out to me personally, because what you do is you look, how many likes did I get? How many retweets? How many shares? We're tracking the metrics yeah. of approval as opposed to the substance of what was written or what was shared. Here's the thing. I love the idea of celebrating milestones. I don't love the idea of forcing that celebration to occur in a public place. And to stage it for public Yeah, it's just, it feels like, you know, who is this for? Celebrating would be the person coming in, you having balloons and a cake and a sweatshirt and everyone giving them a hug and like that. Yeah, that we're going to have actually, special family dinner. We're all grandma and grandpa. That is actually for the person. These totally. these are elaborately staged things that are are to show the public how well you've done and and just the subtle message of given what's going on in the world the ways that that thousands of dollars of of merchandise and stuff for this event I I just it really bothers me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <They're, laughs> the lesson of it bothers me too. That, that I yeah. agree. Yeah. But kudos to you for being willing to talk about. I, I'll be candid. I didn't even know this was a thing. My kids are younger, so we're not at this stage yet. Some of our friends who kids are younger, who we've been telling and showing them some of the images and stuff, they are absolutely horrified. Yeah, I just I, yeah. I can't even <laughs> begin to understand. But but I mean, this is also the same thing with uh, you know, and I'll be blunt. Um, and and since you were kind enough to share, I'll yeah. share. Why do we have kindergarten graduations with caps and gowns? <laughs> Like seriously, at some point, who is that for? Who is that for? Because it's not for the kid. Most of the towns are are, are multiple schools now. So you have sixth grade exactly. graduation and then middle school graduation. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. on one hand, yay, I'm glad that we are marking the milestone of you are continuing to be educated. Yeah. You are continuing to advance in your learning. But that's not what we're celebrating. Congratulations. You survived your first year of school. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's not what we're celebrating. What we're celebrating is look at me. Look over here. Yeah. This is what's going well in my life. I was in a conversation uh, recently, and I think this speaks to this and not only the personal challenges all of us are facing right now, but also the more societal changes we're facing right now. I had met somebody for the first time. We were having a conversation. Uh, we met over a dinner and 25 minutes into the conversation, this person had not come up for air. They had only been talking about all the things that were going well in their life. And they had no, no awareness of this. No awareness of what's yeah. going on. And I, and I say this not from a place of judgment, but yeah, to yeah. set the scene. Yeah. And I found myself feeling compelled to say, so what isn't working in your life right now? Yeah. And Bob, you would have thought that I took a baseball bat and swung it across the table and hit him upside down. And the person visibly recoiled at the question was like, uh, and then proceeded to rattle off a bunch of things that, you know, frankly, were kind of like when you ask somebody like, what's your, your biggest weakness yeah. in an yeah. interview? And they're like, I well, I'm extremely punctual yeah. and I care too much. And I always seem to get promoted faster than the other people. And that causes issues now. And it was just like, oh my goodness, what are the stories that we're telling ourselves? And why are we so afraid to acknowledge when things aren't working? 
Why are we so afraid to acknowledge, yeah, this didn't go well. And why do we need to do so much of it on a public stage? I I just don't, I think it's a recipe for big failure. Yeah. I'll get myself more in trouble now, but I, to me, in some ways, the more that people put stuff, I'm uncomfortable sometimes reading the thing that a partner writes to another partner on social media, because it feels like it should have been in the card that they got that (laughs) morning. Right. Totally. Totally. Follow these things sometimes. And then where these relationships go, it's almost like the more that that was public, the more you find out that that relationship was in trouble. Yeah, it's like you're trying too hard. It's right. like, what What are you? Yeah, I, I told my wife very early on in our relationship, I said, <laughs> look, if it's important for you that I do a post about you on your birthday and on our anniversary and all that, I'll do it because it's important to you. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, my wife's an introvert. She's like, yeah, no, not no, at all. No. I was like, great. In fact, I guess really what? would be angry at you. Yeah, yeah. I was like, great. Then guess what? We're not doing that. Yeah. And I will, to your point, put it in the card. I will put it in the text message. I will put it in the conversation I'm having there. I don't need to put it on the podcast and put it in the post. And it's just like enough already. Take it off. Philip McKernan, who, uh, you know, we both know, (laughs) uh, you know, I don't know if you ever heard him tell this story on my favorite podcast episodes where, you know, he does these retreats and Philip is a guy who gets you deep in five minutes and Somehow, anyone who talks to him for more than ten minutes seems to be in tears. Like his, yeah, he's his, an emotional surgeon. Let's be candid; he goes right in. Yeah, he just and, senses yeah. it. He asks yeah. the right question, and people sort of human. fall apart. So he's got one of his retreats in in Ireland, and this woman comes and he asks everyone, you know, how happy are you? One out of ten, or something like that. And where are you? And this person on the retreat, and this person, he said. She said I'm a 9.5 or this or that. And he goes, he says, well, why don't you just, and, and everything in her life was perfect. He goes, well, you why? I mean, I'm going to sit down. You're a nine and a half. You should come up here. You should teach this thing. And in one hour, she is hysterically in tears. Her life is a three. Everything is in shambles. It's all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, it's just, but the need to, to sort of, again, didn't need to oversell it. You know, it wasn't <laughs> other people weren't you. saying 9.5. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say uh, for anybody listening, if you want to tap into it, Philip McKernan's work is incredible. I've yeah. been a customer and a friend for many years. He's a brilliant guy. My running joke with Philip is Philip will ask you, how are you doing? And you'll say, I'm good. And he'll go, yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> and it's never that blunt, but he just dives right into yeah. it. And I think we need more of that. I think we need more of having conversations. And I mean, you and I have even haven't had some conversations yeah. independent of our recording of like, hey, I really like, how are you doing? What's going on? Hey, what's working? What's not working? And that ability to just check in on people, even if you don't think that the relationship is solid enough or well-established enough to have a substantive conversation, I promise you, everyone listening, every human on the planet is dying to have a deeper conversation right now. They're dying to have a deeper conversation. And if you open the door, if you create the space in a genuine, empathetic way with no intention, with no attitude behind it, but just like, hey, if you do need to talk, I'm happy to listen, not provide solutions, not give you fix it's not, but literally just listen. I think there are so many people that would greatly love that opportunity. It's worth an experiment. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. And, and we have a great opportunity to do that. You know, again, hopefully everything crossed <laughs> that this recedes a little bit. You know, one of my goals for this year was sort of 26 dinners and lunches, you know, every other week with someone I have not caught up with in a while and to sit down and, and I was on a uh, uh, work trip this week. I reached out to someone I hadn't seen in a year and we had one of those conversations where surface, everything was going okay with this person, but they had some real health stuff that they were really vulnerable about. And I just hadn't talked to them in a while. And, and I think we all have an opportunity now as we are able to connect, to connect, <laughs> right? Not not to sit down like Joey, I haven't seen each other in years and give each other our 2% highlights, but like, right. what were the lowlights the last couple of years? For most people, the lowlights were, were, were higher, you know, greater number than the highlights. So yeah, I think exactly. it's a real opportunity for everyone now to not not jump back into the, we need the face-to-face, but but not to make it superficial, but to make it real. Absolutely. Well, not to totally shift topics, but I will. Um, but uh, on one of the latest episodes uh, of your podcast, the season seven finale, um, you actually broke down Jeff Bezos' final shareholder letter uh, as the CEO of Amazon. I know, you know, Amazon is a super customer-centric company. Bezos is known for his chair in the room and, and all this stuff. So what what do you think he did well uh, in that letter for framing the, the future of Amazon as he sort of transitioned out of the, the CEO role? Well, you know, it's interesting. He wrote that letter back in April of 2021. So it, it's, you know, some time has passed since yeah. then. And what's interesting is uh, Jeff has been more in the news for his girlfriend and his space ventures since yeah. then than he has been for this letter. But what I loved about this letter and the reason why we featured it on the podcast is 
it addressed an issue that I think is often overlooked in the world of customer experience. And that is the equally important aspect of employee experience. You cannot deliver a remarkable customer experience if you have a poor employee experience. And frankly, it's hard to have a great employee experience if you have a negative customer experience. They are two sides of the same coin. And what I loved about his letter is he kind of throws down the gauntlet and says, look, at the entire time I was CEO, we were very focused on being a customer-centric company. But going forward, we want to also be the world's best employer and safest place to work. Because in their industry, you know, injuries are a real thing when you're running warehouses and when you're doing transportation. That's, you know, something that a lot of businesses don't contend with as much as theirs does. And there also have been a lot of questions about, well, should they be unionized and how are we doing this? And, you know, how, what is the way you're treating the workers? And you can't get to the holidays without some article that makes its way across all the news channels about how horrible it is to work in an Amazon warehouse during the holidays. Well, they because- also until recently capped people. Exactly. I didn't realize this. Someone was telling me this last week that because when I saw something about the 300 that like executive comp was capped at like 160 or something for the whole company like up until a few weeks ago I, I guess you know the stock and stuff so yeah I, I listened to this I, I, do you think he does he really believe this or is this in response to because they've had some real negative press yeah. about these issues here's the thing I do my best and I don't always achieve this I do my best to take people at their word until I have significant evidence proof, that I shouldn't. Yeah. Demonstrable <laughs> proof, exactly. And Very so I Canadian look at this. You. Well, you know, yeah. my I, I, I aspire <laughs> to be an honorary Canadian anyway. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I look at this, for 20 years, Amazon has been saying, we don't care what Wall Street thinks. We're going to put the customer first. Everybody looks at Amazon share price now and they're like, oh, it's so amazing. And it's been all wonderful. It's like, no, there were plenty of times where Amazon was like, hey, we're going to double down into infrastructure. I think back to like 2009 when Amazon stock was taking it in the teeth because when everything was crunching with the recession, they were like, we're going to take all our extra money and build more warehouses so that we can deliver even faster to people's house. And Wall Street was like, you should be taking some money off the table and up in the dividend. And Bezos was like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that because we're in this for the long haul. I think, and I want to believe, and maybe it's, you know, rose colored glasses on my part. I want to believe that he understands that if they don't start putting a higher priority on employee experience, now that they have what, you know, over a million employees, I think, you know, globally, they're going to have a big problem. And that problem is going to be, you can't deliver that remarkable experience. So I think that's legit concern. And I think they realize that. Yeah. And, and so I think that we're doing it. There was a, a specific quote in the letter that I, I, you know, that I thought really stood out um, where he said, we're not done leading. If we want to be the earth's best employer, we shouldn't settle for 94% of employees saying they would recommend Amazon to a friend as a place to work, which is their actual internal data from their warehouse. 94% said they'd recommend it. He's not satisfied with that. He goes on to say, we have to aim for 100%. And we'll do that by continuing to lead on wages, on benefits, on upskilling opportunities, and in other ways that we'll figure out over time. And then fast forward, they recently came out and they said, hey, if you work at Amazon, guess what? We'll pay for college. Target yeah. did this too. This is the new, this is this the is new, new thing. high stakes game. This yeah. is the new high stakes. Because and the data has shown that people will leave when they stop learning. Exactly. And so now they're like, hey, guess what? We'll pay for you to keep learning. And what employer isn't going to benefit from 
better educated employees, period. I think the best employers in the world are the ones who have had an education benefit for their employees. And I I hesitate to say force them to spend it, but create a culture where everybody spends it. I get this all the time as a speaker. I'll have people reach out to me and they're like, hey, I saw that you're speaking at this conference. I'm trying to get my boss to approve it for me to be able to go to this conference. What do you want me to do? Yeah. What I say to them is, great, give me your boss's email. And I shoot them a private video to their boss that I say, hey, here's the thing. I can't vouch for all the other speakers, but what I can promise you is I'm going to light your employees' interest in customer experience on fire. I'm going to take what's already there and I'm going to double down on it. I'm going to personally meet with them before or after the speech. I'll coordinate with them. Please go ahead and make this investment in your staff member because if they've got the initiative to write to me, a speaker, my gut instinct is you are not getting the full value from them that you could be if you would just give them a little more possibility and opportunity. And every time I've done that, the person has showed up at the conference because it got paid for and we've had a conversation. Now, I haven't heard back from any of the leaders later saying like it was worth it, but the reality is we've got to be willing to invest in ourselves. We've got to be willing to invest in each other. And as an employer, if you're not investing in the growth and learning of your staff, I don't know what you think you're spending money on that's more valuable. Like a new software platform, I mean, come on. There's the famous parable quote between the CFO and the CEO, right? What if yeah. we train them and what they leave? What if we train them and they leave? Yeah. yeah. What if we don't train them and they stay? Yeah. Exactly. And and I think those are the anti-up chips to doing business in 2022 and beyond. If you are not providing growth and learning opportunities, and not just book learning, I'm talking about emotional learning. I'm talking about you know physical development, all these things. If you're not doing all of that, you're falling behind. Yeah, it's it's competitive out there. People can build their own virtual business of gig jobs, right? They don't have to commit to a company. You know, I was thinking about in, in terms of like when you think about customer experience and just how Amazon has made Prime just a can't live without utility. So what, I think they announced that one of the things they're going to do a lot of they're raising Prime like. 40, I don't even know what we pay for it. Like if it exactly. was $500, and here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. and like, no I don't even know. What I don't, I don't even, you could tell me any amount of money almost that you were raising prime. Like I, you know, don't, don't have some AI bot do like variable pricing. Yeah. Don't do a $10,000 prime account. Right. But like you up at 20 bucks. But I mean, bucks. there's almost no point or substitute. I mean, we use it when we travel to have stuff show up at the hotel. Like, my daughter's going to college. Like these days, you don't rent a truck. It just you just deliver this. I, it, it's, it, it. I mean, that is a sticky customer value proposition. It's huge. <laughs> and if you dive into the data behind Prime users, the it's this is a little bit dated because it's from a few years ago that I haven't been able to find more recent data. But the difference between how much money a Prime customer spends on Amazon and a non-Prime customer spends, oh yeah, it's almost three x. So let's stop and think about that, that a Prime customer spends almost three times as much money as a non-Prime member, plus they've paid to be part of Prime. So it's like the self-selection in the behavior is unbelievable on this. And with all of the analytics and the data that Amazon has been able to crunch as a result, you know, their ability to forecast and promote things. A quick story. So the other day, uh, my wife gave me a gift and she gave me a book. Okay, actually two books. And I opened up this gift and I had two books. And she said, I thought these and I thought you'd like them. And I had never heard of these books until about two hours before she gave me this gift. 
I got an email from Amazon suggesting that I might like the book. Now, here's the thing. This could just be random happenstance. But I know for a fact over on Facebook, when you do likes on Facebook, at 150 likes, Facebook is better at predicting whether you will like an image or a story than your spouse is. At 300 likes, they're better at predicting it with their algorithm than you are at predicting whether you'll like it or not, right? That's likes on Facebook at 150 to 300. I do a lot more business with Amazon than I do with Facebook. So you bought 300 products. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. You and didn't just only, like I, it, you bought I it. I didn't like it, I <laughs> yeah. bought it. It's in the shopping cart. They know what it is. They know how long it's in the shopping cart. They're seeing what's yeah. on the wish list and how things come off it. The information that they have and how they're using it, I think it's a huge responsibility, which I, I have concerns about whether they're living up to that responsibility right. in terms of privacy and the information they have. But the reality is this is your competition. If you are in business today and yeah. you don't work for Amazon, your competition is Amazon. Not that Amazon is going to start operating in the industry of the vertical you operate in, but rather your customers are comparing the experience of doing business with you to the experience of doing business with Amazon. Or your competitors are selling on Amazon. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. You know, they want the same level of convenience. They want the same level of anticipation, same level of familiarity, same level of ease. Yeah. And, and you order anything today and they tell you it's not coming in two days and you have like a heart attack, right? Or or <laughs> they tell you you have to pay for it to yeah. be shipped. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, what? Since when? I mean, Amazon literally destroyed business's ability to charge for shipping. Because now everybody's like, I don't have to pay for it. You pay for it. Right. It's fascinating how much change has happened from one company. Yeah, it's it's an incredible story, and you know the the ties my Friday forward this week. But I, I've seen the the man in the arena quote has been floating around this week in relation to Peloton and sort of some of their struggles. But it, it's just much easier to be a critic than it is to do some of this oh, stuff. So true, so true. Yeah. yeah, my my increasingly, I'm not interested in your opinion unless. I have evidence something? that you've yeah. done some, you know, and it, and it's like, yeah. and I get it. I, yes, there maybe are some 22 year old life coaches that have great ideas, but probably, yeah. but I'm, I'd rather hear from the 82 year old person. Right. And I'd rather hear from the person who started and failed with four businesses than the person that's a month into their first business pontificating about how businesses should be run. I'd rather hear from the person that failed because they probably learned more. Yeah. Those those who can't do teach, uh, in some cases, uh, you, do you know the Dunning Kruger effect, right? I do. So, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that plus social media is pretty dangerous. Where yeah, it's real where, dangerous. Which at a high level, Dunning Kruger is like the data shows that the the less you know about a topic, the more of, the more overconfident you are. It's actually not until you learn a little bit more that you realize what you don't know. And so, again, we have the amount of you know newly minted epidemiologists we have on oh my Twitter gosh. Is, is, what, is what amazes me as somebody Bob, as somebody who spent three years at a top 25 law school who practiced yeah. law for five years <laughs> the number of people who are experts in election law the constitution technology of ballot boxes yeah. epidemiology <laughs> health policy public health policy right. voter rights you know, redistricting of, uh, you know, gerrymandering, gerrymandering yeah. of electoral spaces. Um, oh, I don't know. The criminal justice system, the civil justice system, uh, global uh, consumerism, global equality. I'm just like, wait a second. 
I was in a conversation recently with somebody and they said, you know, I haven't mastered this. And they're like, and I haven't mastered this. And I found myself thinking while they were talking, which is a dangerous position to be in. I acknowledge I was probably not being as present as I could have. But I found myself thinking, is there anything that I would say I've mastered? I actually don't think there is. But by the way, the things that you master fundamentally change in terms of, I I always like (laughs) to say, like, if you either master horse and buggy repair person, unless you have a shop in upstate Pennsylvania or Ohio, you probably don't have a burgeoning business. Totally. And and taking it back to the very first question you asked, my 10,000 hours are on stage. I've given thousands and thousands of speeches on yeah. all seven continents. Okay. I feel like I'm pretty good when I get on stage. I'm, I'm willing to go up against whoever. And I, I feel like I'm going to deliver great value. And guess win how competitions. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Guess how useful that mastery is when I'm delivering a speech over Zoom where I can't see or hear the audience. Yeah. Whoa, that called everything that I had learned into question. And it switched the entire game. So I've had to relearn new skills. I've had to take things that I used to do and change them up. To me, mastery is about recognizing how little we actually know and having the thirst for knowledge to keep learning. That's what gets me excited and keeps me going. Because I know a lot of speakers actually like they scan the crowd, they find the people that they know are really into it and they lock in on them. Like that's part of their feedback cycle. Totally. It's an echo chamber when you're in Zoom. Totally. Whereas I was one of the alternatives. I would scan and look for the people with the folded arms and, and be then like, you try to win go- them over. I'm going to win you over. Because I've already, these people that are over here cheering, I'm good. I could do anything and they're going to happy. How about that skeptic in the back? What about that skeptic over there? Let me go get them. And that's frankly what kept it interesting and exciting for me. That's pretty funny. All right. So I, I have a two-part last question for you or else we're going we're gonna to go on forever. Uh, I've been asking this to some people and I think it's relevant to what we said. So if you were writing your book, Never Lose a Customer Again today, knowing the last couple of years, what is the lost chapter that you would add? Oh, that's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. So when I was writing my book, I had a belief that I think has been supported by the people who've read the book and implemented it, that most people knew that they needed to care about their customers, but were looking for a system or a process of how to do it. They just wanted, you know, how do I get a framework? How do I get it set up? And I think we delivered on that on the book. What I didn't necessarily realize is how much of that was being dramatically influenced by the employee experience of the employees who are being asked to deliver these experiences, which to be candid, I'm not going to fix it by adding to the first book, I'm actually just started writing my well, second that, that book. That was going to be the next, next question. Year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so my, <laughs> my next book is, my first book was called Never Lose a Customer Again. My next book is going to be called Never Lose an Employee Again. And it's all about what is the framework, the system for successfully onboarding an employee who is engaged, who wants to stay there, who wants to continue to grow with you. Because as somebody who hasn't had more than one or two employees in a long time, I mean, it's been over 20 years since I had more than two employees, I didn't realize how big of a problem this was until I started talking to all of my friends who had dozens, hundreds of employees who are like, oh my God, Joey, you have no idea how much time I spend 
trying to work on employee engagement and employee retention. And it's a new playbook for Gen Z. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's not only a new playbook for Gen Z. It's a new playbook for enlightened leaders. It's a new playbook for remote work. It's a new playbook for an increasingly online environment where the bulk of your workday is spent looking at a screen, right. not interacting with other humans. There's so many pieces of this puzzle that have changed fundamentally in the last 20 years. And it's my personal belief. And if anybody's out there, I, I want to read, I'm trying to read everything that's been written on these topics. Yeah. I don't think anybody's written the seminal book on how do we do employment today? They've written, you wrote a great book on how do we do remote work today? And people yeah. have written a great work on how do we do benefits today? There's been a lot of books that have touched on pieces of the puzzle. I'm looking for, well, what is the framework? What is the philosophy, the methodology behind how we do this? And then how do we get tactical in terms of implementing that into a business structure? So that's what I'm excited about working on. Well, I don't know whether you need an asterisk or a subtitle, but but somewhere in there, it needs to be that you don't want to, right? Well, right. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. People ask me all the time. They're like, well, Joey, your book was called Never Lose a Customer Again. Does that mean you think we should keep every customer? I'm like, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I think you should regularly fire customers. Every year, you should fire at least one customer because I guarantee people are getting in. We do that every time we hit... Uh, when we get too busy... When we hit 100% capacity, it is a good time to look at the customers we know aren't going to renew. We know, uh, you know, have been unprofitable, and and it's a, you know, like why are we going to go hire ahead and do this when we have customers that aren't a good long term fit? Right, and that's why my books are called Never Lose. Right. See, I don't want the customer to decide to leave. Yeah. I want you to encourage them to leave Got or it. to fire them. Same with the employees. If employee wants to leave, that's fine. But I don't want the surprise of an employee leaving that I didn't know they were going to leave or I didn't know what it was that they're leaving for. I think the best companies in the world recognize that it, I think it's more important to be a great place to have worked than to be a great place to work. Patty McCord. I, I know you and I talked about this now. It's coming back. It's yeah. Research. I mean, Patty's work for your book. And I would definitely talk to her. Her whole line was she wanted people to be from Netflix. Like exactly. she wanted Netflix to be a place that, that you could be from and be proud of it. And that was a, that was a good thing to do. Yeah. Cause employees are going to grow up. Their life is going to change. There are yeah. going to be external factors that you have no control over that are going to impact whether or not they can continue working for you. Yeah. And, and until we have a recession, which probably is, is, is due, you know, we talked to, and again, some of it is generational, you know, and some of it is just 20s things that people do in their 20s but you'll talk to people and they're like they'll they'll leave a company and like oh my god i loved it, it was, it's just it's been two years uh, you yeah. know I, I interestingly and i don't you do research on this i've heard a lot of companies talking about you know they're talking to earlier stage people around equity and they're just not interested because that's a that's a three to five year six year thing and like they're like Couple years at a time. Um, totally, so and let's and let's bring this full circle back to the bed party conversation. Yeah. Okay. Here's the interesting <laughs> I see how thing. How you nail this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, see, we'll see if we can pull yeah. this, lay this, and bring it all together. Universities and colleges figured out a long time ago that they are selling a program that theoretically should be four years. Granted, sometimes it skews into five or six, but let's yeah. say on average we're shooting for four. But their goal is to create such connection with you and such affinity that 40 years from the time you graduate, you will want your kids and your grandkids to go to that school. I think employers could learn a lot from yeah. how schools have done this. Let's put it this way. I doubt there are many parents 
who are throwing bed parties where they're getting the swag from the new employer of the person that someone's going to work for. What would have to happen for there to be that kind of pride and affinity in somebody taking a job at your organization? So I'll I'll now tie it together. I have a friend who just took a job at Amazon and she did a very funny thing on Facebook, like where the kids, you know, the first day of school chalkboards, like she did it for her first day of work at Amazon. I love it. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And and that's the thing. (laughs) What is the excitement? What am I going to learn here? What am I nervous about? What, where's it going to go? And how am I going to develop? I love it. All right, Joe, where can, where can people learn more about your work and your, and your upcoming book? Yeah, the best place to find me is on my website, which is joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old, you know, Joey. Uh, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation. Joeycoleman.com. Uh, the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. The new book, which was coming out in 2023, will be called Never Lose an Employee Again. And I thank everybody for listening in. And thank you, Bob, for uh, being such the consummate host. And it's always fun getting a chance to chat and connect with you. Yeah, always a pleasure. I'm gonna count this as one of my uh, one of my dinners, uh, lunches, and perfect. It's it's it's, you know it's gone about on on that time, and we'll I'll look forward to uh, part three after uh, the book is out. All right, thanks, Joey. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review, as it's what helps new users discover the show. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is click on the library icon click on Elevate and scroll down to the bottom and you can leave a a rating or review. If you're listening in your browser or different app, you can find easy links to review on Google Play, Stitcher, and other services by following the subscribe link at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.